Welcome to episode 92 from the Shed End, titled No Leaders. We'll get into that later on. Theo, how are you doing? Yeah, like I always say on this pod, I feel like a broken record. Chelsea aside, I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to the another bank holiday weekend. Um, three days to look forward to. King's Coronation tomorrow. Um, unfortunately, Chelsea as well, playing tomorrow at 3pm. So I think my mood will be quite mixed tomorrow and I'm sure Chelsea will let us down once again. But like I always say, um, doing well. Uh, weather's kind of up and down here in London. Bit of rain, a bit of sunshine today. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? Like you, as always, you know. Um, yeah, you know, Chelsea let me down again in a week to be expected. Had a lovely rant on Wednesday, I think, or maybe the Thursday. I can't remember what day it was now. Um, if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go listen to it. Um yeah, yeah, maybe said too much, but apart from that, the sunshine and hay fever has kicked in for the rest of the year. So, um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. As as always, we're here. Friday therapy session is is, is well and truly on the way. So, um, if anyone's new to the channel, please make sure you subscribe, um, give the video a thumbs up, and also um, hit the link tree link in the description as well. That will take you to all our podcasts and social um, accounts as well. So, make sure you do all of those things. But let's get straight into it. Bit of sad news, really, to start off with, with Frank Kirby ruling herself out of the, the Women's World Cup later on this year. Um, is it an ACL injury? I'm not quite sure. It was a knee operation that she needs, I think, um, from February. I think she hasn't played since, I'm sure it was the West Ham game or it was a game earlier on this season. Um, yeah, February the 9th, last game. Um, officially ruled herself out. She she requires surgery on a, on a knee injury um sad news i mean arguably one of chelsea's best players uh alongside sam kerr but you know ma- massive loss for, for england as well i think there's a couple of players out as well um i think beth mead and leah leah williamson was also out as well so tough tough to go into that world cup um off the back of the euros as well without some of your star players yeah, I mean, even the Chelsea women's team, I think those two legs we had against Barcelona, I think we were heavy, we had a lot of injuries and we didn't have some of our star players, the likes of Frank Kirby, like you just mentioned, who's been injured um, since that away game in February. Um, it's a big blow for England. It's a big blow for her as well. Um, she's 29 now, um, so time's not really on her side. You think this could be maybe her last chance to make a England World Cup squad. She might have one last chance in the, another four years. But like I said, it's a huge blow for England, a huge blow for England um, for Frank Kirby, and a huge blow for the Chelsea women's as well. Because I don't think there's a kind of um, a scheduled uh, comeback date on her when she will return to action. I think it's just kind of described as a long-term injury, and she may need surgery. Um, so we're wishing her a speedy recovery and hopefully she'll be back into the Chelsea team in time for the start of next season. Yeah, and not just not just international. I mean, club, we have to remember, you know, club as well, you know, massive. I think, uh, you know, in the WSL, it's, it's very tight at the top. Chelsea women sit in third currently at the moment. FA Cup, um, obviously behind the, the leaders, um, United as well. So there's... There's, there's a lot a lot to play for club as well as country um massive massive loss i'd say um but speedy recovery as always to, to anyone um who, who suffers those sort of injuries you know can always come back as a an injury where you're just not the same player again you know your, your knees one of those things that you you actually need um beyond football as well so um speedy recovery and and hopefully it's not a like you say it's not a long-term injury uh, creeping you know into next season as well but we have to keep her 
on the same path, really, of doom and gloom, unfortunately, because we have to talk about Arsenal, a game that I personally thought we were... I, I'll be honest, I thought we were going to try and at least make things difficult for Arsenal. And we didn't do that at all. Um, Paul, as I said, I spoke about it earlier in the week. I'm going to let you have your your say on the lineup, on the game, subs, all of that stuff. Let, let me know what you thought. What did you think about the game? Yeah, I mean, I think if you listen back to our previous episode, episode 91, there was a bit of confidence from both of us, I felt. I mean, Arsenal hadn't won a game, I think, in their last four or five, having drawn with um, West Ham, having lost to City. Um, and I think there was another draw in there as well. But um, Southampton, they also drew Southampton. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, they, they'd lost all their games since the start of April. Um, but you just felt like maybe given it was a London derby, it was Arsenal, it was Chelsea. You thought maybe the players would just give it a bit of something. But if you watched the game on Tuesday, you'd, you'd know for a fact that that first half was abysmal, absolutely abysmal. But for me, it started with the lineup. Um, I know a lot of Chelsea fans on Twitter were quite pleased with the lineup, but I think the only thing that was good about it was Aubameyang and Madweke starting. You know, two players that haven't featured much that deserve to start that we, you know, we've been crying out for lately. Um, but why have Sterling next to them? Why not have Madrid? Why not have Jao Felix? And then again, why do you go with a back four and why do you go with three in midfield? It makes no sense whatsoever. It makes zero sense. You're playing a back four. That means you have to play Asby at right back. He's finished. He's finito. He's, he's been finished since the start of last, last season, um, the end of last season. He should have bowed out as a club legend. I mean, he still is a club legend, but, you know, it's kind of tarnishing his image a little right now. And it's kind of hard to watch him watch, watch him play football as well. He just looks like every time he's trying to run back to the fan, he just puts his head down and lets out a big kind of, you know, gulp and just sprints. But he just can't catch up with players like Martinelli, like Saka, like Trossard. Um, he's been a brilliant servant, but I think his time, his time is up. It's not, I think it's his time is up this summer. And then I would, I would, like I said in my predicted 11, I would have gone with Ruben Loftus-Cheek at right wing back. That would have brought a bit more kind of attacking threat, a bit more physicality. And again, I don't think he's featured much recently, not even off the bench. I think Lampard's opted with Gallagher, the same as Potter has coming off the bench rather than Loftus-Cheek. But I think Loftus-Cheek, if you remember back to Tuchel, he was favoured at right wing back at times. He was favoured in midfield at times and we were playing some decent football back then. Um, free midfield, I don't understand that. I just don't understand that. I've, I, Kovacic, I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, he's probably met, um, texting his agent at halftime saying, get me out of here, get me to Guardiola City or get me to Bayern Munich. He doesn't want to be at Chelsea anymore. And that's apparent with the way he plays football. He can't put two passes together. He, he loses the ball way too easily. He looks sloppy on the ball. He's not him tracking back. It's poor. It's really poor. I would have st- stuck with Enzo and with, um, with um, Enzo and Kante and possibly even bring Chukunweka you know, ahead of them, but just Kovacic, Aspilicueta, maybe play them in that Newcastle game of the season to give them a, one last farewell, but they shouldn't feature, you know, until, until then, in my opinion. We should give a, be giving chances to Madweke, to Chukumweka, to Loftus-Cheek, to even Lewis Hall, our left back at times, but those two need to, need to you know, they, they're finished now at Chelsea. They clearly don't want to be there anymore or they don't have the ability to play for us anymore. Um, but yeah, lineup for me was a mess. It was a mess. I know, look, like I said, people were happy with it, but I wasn't. Um, and then first half, what can you say? You can see three goals in quick succession like that. And what annoyed me the, the most is those first two goals were literally carbon copies of each other. So we conceded one from Odegaard, where it's kind of cut back to him on the edge of the box and he just puts it in. Then the second one is almost identical. So our defense clearly doesn't learn from their mistakes and just repeats the same mistake again. 
And then the third goal, we have three players just lying on the deck. And while Gabriel Jesus just puts it in, it was just schoolboy defending. I mean, Thiago Silva was an experienced defender, but he was, you know, put on the ground so easily. Fafana, that's two games in a row now, Brentford and Arsenal, where he's made to look like a clown and he's just kind of stuck there and he's not pressing enough the players. It's poor. It's poor. And I think Kepa pulled off two decent saves against um, Shaka twice, I think it was. So I think if it wasn't for Kepa, we could have easily been five or six on a night. Um, one highlight from the game, Madueke scoring his opening goal. I, you could tell it meant a lot to him, but it's just such a shame that it was only a consolation goal. Um, Harley could celebrate it. But I think he's a player that needs to feature a lot more between now and the end of the season. And hopefully he's got a bright future at Chelsea. Yeah, so, well, well summed up, first of all. I think you've summed it up pretty much how I tried to articulate it on whatever day it was and failed and just went on a mad rant. But I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think it was, it was, it showed me there was a lot of stubbornness in terms of Lampard, um, not willing to, to adapt or change tactically lineups. Um, you know, Aspilicueta at right back just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. And even going back to a back four, and I think I said this in the preview before the game, you know, playing a back four against, you know, who I thought was going to start was Martinelli. But even Trossard played really well there on the left and, you know, Saka and Jesus through the middle. Then you've got those two, uh, those those behind them in terms of um, Odegaard and Xhaka, you know, those sort of players, they were, they were having a field day with us. They were having a field, I mean, three goals in the first half is, is, is comical enough. Um, it could have been, like you said, a lot more in the second half had Arsenal taken a foot off the gas and almost allowed us to play a bit of football uh, in the second half. But, you know, one of the things I, I noticed was that even in, in, more so in the first half, you know, the wingers, Madweki and, and Sterling were almost playing in midfield um, when we didn't have possession of the ball, which is probably something Lampard's tactically told the team to do. But, he just left the Bamiang isolated. And, you know, the, I think there was a stat going around that Bamiang had nine touches of the ball for them from kickoff. It, I can see why, because he, he's on, he's up front on his own. He's got no service. He's got nothing to run onto. And, and the thing with Arsenal, they played such a high line in that game that we missed the trick by not having Mudrick on that pitch, you know, on the left side to, to run into that space. You know, Madweki was trying to do it in the first half and, and in spells in the second half, but there was just nothing for him to play onto. There was nothing, nothing for him to do on that, on that right-hand side. So it was really frustrating to watch. And, you know, I said in the preview, play three at the back because it's, it's Thiago Silva is going to need a lot of support in that game. And he, he needed it. And he couldn't get it with, with Aspilicueta, who... If, if I'm being honest, he looked shattered after 10 minutes. And, and that's not me being harsh. That's, you know, he was dripping in sweat. It's it's hard. It's grueling. It's grueling. I can only imagine what it must be to play top level football, Premier League football. You know, even as a... And I, I said this on, on Wednesday or whenever it was, you know, we looked non-league. We looked like a non-league football club. And that's disrespectful to non-league football teams. We were that bad. We were that poor. It's just... It, it, I mean... I don't know where we go from here. I really don't. Um, it, it could have been. A, it could have been a lot worse. And and the likes of City, um, you know, United, they they potentially won't hold back. You know, they won't stop at three nil. It might hit us for you know seven or eight nil. So yeah, I, I I don't see where we go from here. I don't see how we can turn this corner. 
one of the questions I want to ask you, and I think we spoke about it on here before, you know, obviously we talk about Thiago Silva, we talk about Aspilicueta as the leaders, but even relying on two players over the age of 30, you know, Aspilicueta's 33, um, Silva's 39. Yes, they've got the experience, but there's no, you can't see any leaders coming through in this team. You know, some people said maybe Mesa Matt was going to be one of them a couple of seasons ago, but there isn't any leaders. There's no one in there that you can see shake the team up at half time and you almost sense that Frank Lampard I think he came out and said you know I don't want to criticise the lads the lads they, you're, you're the manager you're, they're, they're not your mates it's almost like he's too nice in the dressing room and I, what, what, what do you think needs to change how, how do we go from this sort of vibes and party atmosphere which it kind of feels like it is at the moment to being regimented and knowing what you've got to do on the pitch and the manager installing that in the players and the players themselves doing that as well yeah, I think like you just said, there's no leaders. There's zero leaders in that dressing room. You look at the experienced players that aren't Aspilicueta and um, Thiago Silva. Their futures are under, they're un- unsure at the moment. Kovacic, Kante, still, Kovacic is probably off this summer. Kante still hasn't signed an extension. Um, you know, you've got Bamiyang, who's an experienced player. He's going to be off this summer as well. Um, you look at other players like Kepa, Reese James, Mason Mounts. They're, they're still too young or inexperienced to be leaders, in my opinion. They don't have that kind of vocal presence on the pitch. And they, they've been in and out of the team of injury as well. So there's zero leaders at the moment. Zero. And even Thiago Silva, he's a huge leader, but it is English good enough to articulate stuff in the dressing room to players, take players kind of under his arm and, you know, talk to them in English. And um, something else that's this season that's been so important and reason more to have a leader is, you know, all these players that came in in January, they need to settle and need to gel in with the other players. They have. They clearly haven't. I don't think a single one of those players we signed in January has properly kind of hit the ground running yet. Enzo showed glimpses of kind of promise, but even him, you know, we paid 120 million for him. I know he's going to become a huge, huge player, but he's got a massive ceiling. But I think he just looks a bit like he probably is thinking in his head, like, why have I signed for this club right now? Why have I signed that eight-year deal? Um, but yeah, it's it's shocking. I really do would love to be a fly in the, in, on the wall and in that dressing room at half time to see what's being said by who, what Lampard has to say to shake this team up, what the, the captain on the night has to say. Because, um, yeah, no leaders. Um, I've said it a while ago. I do think this team needs a big, big preseason together to gel. And that's even more important that what Pochettino has announced in the next couple of weeks to really just come in and sort out what he wants to do before the 1st of July when he's at Cobham and the players report back for duty. Because you look at this group of play- players, it's players that have been un- there under the Tuchel regime, the-, the Potter regime, now the Lampard regime from January onwards. And it, it just looks like a group of players that clearly you know, need two pitches on the training ground to work together because there's so many of them. Players that probably don't do anything together on, on weekends or book restaurants together because that's something that I noticed. The old teams would always have activities to, you know, outside of football that they, they really get along with. I think back thinking back to the Angelotti days when he, I think he even took them all to the cinema one night so that they, they could like get to get um, bond together. But I'm not saying that we need to do this because obviously it's all doom and gloom at the moment and we should be focusing on football rather than kind of partying or social activities. But I think that's needed next season. I think this group of players really needs to kind of gel together and work hard together and get to know each other off the pitch as well. But yeah, I think the main problem is there's no leaders in that dressing room, zero leaders and the leaders that there are kind of futures are unsure at the moment. And I think that's a huge, huge problem. 
And then, I mean, that could creep into next season as well. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of those players that we named, you know, Aspie, um, Thiago Silva's not going to be around much longer, uh, playing-wise, uh, playing career-wise. Um, so I, I think it is a massive worry. You know, you're going to a, a massive critical point in our in our club's history, really, when you think about the next couple of seasons or so. You know, you need leaders. You need someone that's going to be able to galvanise the team on, on and off the pitch. You need, hopefully, Maurizio Pochettino or whoever comes in to be able to hit the ground running with some of these players that are staying for the you know the next seven or eight years. So it's a worry for me. But one of the things I said earlier on in the week was around um, Todd Bowley. And obviously, he's come out previously, said he's made a lot of mistakes in the last six or seven months since taking over at Chelsea. But it, it's, it seems like, now is probably the right time to to even review. Is he the? I mean, he's a obviously a businessman, but is he a football man? I think there's two different things there. You know, being a football minded person, a, a CEO almost, some you know, president, bringing in a president of that sort of magnitude, and having someone else underneath him who's actually got a football mind. I mean, is that an option? Because I, I feel at the moment, you know, there was a clip that I think I sent you where he's, you know, he's, I think he's talking in America somewhere, and he's, you know, he doesn't mention football once. It's all business it's all you know talking about one of the best uh you know being in one of the best cities in in the world you know london and all marketing and business there's nothing really about the results on the pitch which is for me i find a massive worry because it, that's all we care about as fans we don't care about the revenue being turned over and you know whatever else we don't really care we just want to see three points every saturday and midweek games whatever but do you think that now is probably the time for Bowley to maybe bring someone else in that is, you know, Real Madrid think do that, don't they? They have like a president or someone in underneath the owner. They have someone else in there, um, a CEO, a chief exec. Bring someone else in that's more football-minded as opposed to just selling the club on in 10 years and, and trying to recoup a profit. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly got sporting knowledge from his time in the USA with the LA Lakers and the LA Dodgers, but American sports is not it's so different totally to different. European sports. It's like they see it as franchises and you look at the NFL, your team can be called the LA Rams or whatever they are, but they play in Las Vegas. You know, it's, it's completely different. They see it as a franchise and they see it as a cash cow to make revenue and money. Well, and I, I think that's what Bowley was trying to like show up. And he kind of proved in that interview when he's talking about being in the best city in the world, how there's all these markets in Europe where you can get top talent from. But like you said, he doesn't mention football once. He doesn't mention, you know, what, what the fans kind of, what the, it means to support Chelsea for the, from the fans' perspective. He doesn't really understand the game. And I don't think he understands English football either so I think he needs to kind of definitely recruit someone who can kind of give him that advice give him that kind of support he needs and um, in almost that advisory role as well because I'm looking back now you know um, Marina Granitskoya and Petr Cech's um, exits last summer I think that's a big void that we haven't really filled yet I mean so many people now are talking about Petr Cech as that person who was the only one left at Chelsea who knew what it went to you know, be Chelsea through and through and I think since he's left now he feels like we don't really have that person who understands the club who really wants the best for the club I've almost like we took those two for granted and the kind of work they did um, kind of um, behind the scenes um, so yeah I think there's a lot to do now um, from Bowley's perspective to get to win back the fans because the last thing I want is another season of this and the fans to uh, you know turn on him like we see with the Glazers at United um, and other football clubs where it turns really toxic between the fans and the ownership and that's the last thing I want at Chelsea Football Club I think it's going to happen and uh, <laughs> I, I, unfortunately I think it will I think you know um, 
it, it's difficult because you can't you never bite the hand that feeds you you know that saying of I mean he spent a lot of money you know and I know it's not all his own money but you know he's the one that's the face of the money so I think you know 600 million in, in the space of a year is a lot of money so I, I think we could be worse off you know I think there's clubs out there that would snatch your hand off to you know bolster your squad by 600 million pounds worth of, of talent so I, I do think it's difficult to, to judge and I think we said this initially you know with with Bowley as well to give him the time you know give him two summer windows and even Graham Potter we said the same you know give him the two summer windows to to evaluate and see what he's done in that in that space of time and I think we have to stick with that with Bowley I think it's always going to be difficult during the transition but the things that I'm hearing from him in terms of interviews and you know um you know egg, egg barley at the i think he was at like a, a game recently and he sort of gave like a little cheeky wink to a fan and said you know potticino is that who you want sort of thing it's just it, maybe it's a different you know, it's, a, it's a shift for fans you know we're not used to our owners being here there and everywhere and talking you know we're used to roman who was just very you know, a sniper you know you just wouldn't hear or sneer, see him and he was just almost behind the scenes a silent partner to, to an effect so Maybe it's just a shift for fans that we've got to get used to, but it, it, yeah, I mean, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He spent a lot of money. We've got a lot of talent. Um, I, I just want to see some more talk about what you know the football talk as opposed to the business side. And I get that he's a businessman, but as a fan, I want to hear more about the football in itself. But let's talk some transfer stuff. I'm going to get sick of talking about this player. I know he's, I know he's your favorite number nine in the world of all Chelsea players, but recently, and you posted it earlier. I wasn't going to post it on, on Twitter. Just, I knew um, it was going to probably wind you up a little bit, but we spoke about him last week. It has, it seems like it develops slowly every week, but Romelu Lukaku, uh, apparently Maurizio Potticino, should he be appointed as Chelsea manager, is keen on keeping both him. Lukaku and Christensen, uh, Christian Pulisic um, at the club. He wants them there as part of his, his his team going forward. I've said it last week. I've said it probably the week before that. I'm not against Lukaku coming back. I'm really not. Um, I really I really think it would be a, a good thing. It puzzles me that Potticino wants him, but I think he knows that he needs a, a, a number nine. He needs something especially how Potticino lines up. I think it's 4-2-3-1. I think he used to line up at Spurs in that way. So he needs a, a, a prominent striker going forward. Do you think that's a good decision from Potticino to, you know, if he does come in, you know, two players that we kind of think might need to leave the club, he wants to keep. Do you think that might get fans, fans backs up straight away before a ball's even been kicked? I mean, first of all, I like the fact that he knows from now on which players he wants to keep. I think that's really promising and he's probably watched his players in the past and seen traits and their characteristics that he thinks could he, he could develop or he wants to work with in this new Chelsea system or vision of his. And I really rate that. Um, like you said, there's two players that have kind of that Chelsea fans are very have mixed opinions about Pulisic hasn't really lived up to his hype and potential and is all constantly out of the team of injuries Lukaku I could go on forever and why Chelsea fans are mixed about him um, but no I think like you just said we do need a number nine um, the systems that Pochettino has worked in in the past I've always had a number nine I'm even thinking back at Southampton I think when he had um, Graziano Pele as their number nine and he was like their target man in the way in the box then he went to um, he had Harry Kane obviously at Spurs and then he worked with the likes of Mbappe Messi and I think even Cardi at times at, um, at PSG. Um, so yeah, he does need a number nine. I think the, the football that, you know, he manages 
and teams that he manages need that number nine and target man or bully in the box. And Lukaku is that kind of profile. Um, that being said, I think it's more of a question of what his current value is, what his future is looks like at Inter Milan, because I think there still is that option for him to stay another year on loan. But Inter Milan seem quite reluctant and they're in real bad like financial. They've got some really bad financial depth still from the COVID years that they need to... You know, I think they're going to sell the likes of Bastoni, Barella, potentially even Skriniar to recoup some of that money they need. And I, the last thing they, they might want to be doing is um, getting Lukaku to stay with his chunky wages. Um, so, yeah, I think it is an option. I'm still so on the fence on this one. I'm really so on the fence. I mean, we need goals. I think every game that goes, that goes by now proves that we, we need a goal scorer. We need a player that can not just put the ball in the back of the net from a pass, but also create goals for himself. And there were times last season where we saw Lukaku do that. I'm thinking of that run at um, Villa Park. He went on where he just bullied past, but I think it was Matty Cash or whoever it was and got himself into the box and then won as a penalty. We don't have that type of player right now. Um, I haven't really watched much of Inter. I don't know how he's been doing. I think he's had a better 2023 to end of 2022. Um, but yeah, I think... If Pochettino wants him, maybe there's a future for him at Chelsea. But like I said in the last couple of pods, he needs to win back the fans. He needs to kind of issue some kind of apology. He needs to prove that you know he's, he wants to play for the badge again. Um, and obviously, actions speak louder than words after that. So I think, uh, Romelu, um, it's up to you now. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's still a tricky one for me. Um, I was saying a couple of weeks ago that I wanted him to scrub the reserve player's boots if he came back to Chelsea. And I still think that should be part of his apology. <laughs> not just not just a video. He's got to scrub some boots. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's always going to be a difficult one. And I think I've said it on here before that, you know, he's, and we've just spoke about Todd Bowley, you know, not wanting to, well, he's clearly a businessman. He's not going to allow an asset as such as Lukaku, who came to the club for the fees that he did to leave, you know, on, on, the bare minimum he's not going to let him go for any less than maybe you know 50 million and I just don't see anyone paying that you know you said rightfully so you know Inter Milan have financial issues uh, in Italy they are doing okay I think so they are in line to qualify for the Champions League just about at the moment Lukaku I think has scored four in their last four maybe five games and a couple of assists so he's, he's hit the form at the right part of the season I suppose but I'm still not against him coming back you know and I know I know, I know he's, he's said a lot. He's, he's, he's almost burnt as every bridge possible that leads to, to Cobham and Stamford Bridge. But I think he's, he's a player that you look at the, you know, the Mudricks and even like a Madweki, you know, um, Enzo, you know, if you can get Enzo playing higher up the pitch and Kunku, if he, if all the news around him, you know, come in and, you know, come into Chelsea, we've got players that will benefit Lukaku a lot more than, you know, his first or, second stint at the club even his first stint I suppose as well when he hardly played but we've got players now that will be able to accommodate and feed the ball into him a bit more and I think maybe Poch is seeing that and I agree with you you know it's good that Poch is is doing that homework already to to see who needs to stay who needs to go maybe he's seeing a new role for Pulisic maybe it isn't on the the, the wing maybe it's maybe it is a 10 Uh, we don't know you know so he could be there's, there's a lot to think about but um one out recently as well that's been heavily linked this week is Ruben Loftus-Cheek to Italy, to AC Milan. Um, someone who I think even maybe last year, maybe the year before, I said was probably skating on thin ice in terms of his Chelsea career, hasn't really cemented himself as a 
a regular starter, um, still a very top player, but just maybe not at the level of Chelsea that we need to be winning leagues and you know trying to compete for for whatever else. But um, massive factor that is stopping this deal potentially going through is the wages that Lukaku, uh, Lukaku Ruben Loftus Cheek is currently on, one hundred and fifty grand a week, something that AC Milan just wouldn't pay. Um, what's your thoughts on on Ruben Loftus Cheek potentially going to AC Milan um, on a, on a permanent? Yeah, I think I liked his mentality as well, saying that he still wants to make it at Chelsea, he still wants to play for his boyhood boyhood club. Um, I do think he'd be a good fit for AC Milan. Um, we've seen AC Milan pick up some English talent lately with Tamori, and they've kind of fitted in really well and kind of adopted the Italian culture and really um, cemented themselves into that team. I think he's very versatile as well. I've got some friends who are big AC Milan fans and they said there's definitely a role for him at AC, whether that be as like a number 10, as a kind of a winger. Um, yeah. I still think he's got a you know, role to play at Chelsea. I really have said this a lot on this pod. Um, and I'd much rather see a player like Loftus-Cheek come off the bench than, um, than Gallagher at times. Um, I do like the energy that Gallagher brings, but I just feel like it's that, it kind of feels like that kind of Mikel or even when Sarri was there, the, um, Ross Barkley type of substitution just to see off the end of the game but not really get as a goal or... Um, whereas Loftus-Cheek, I'm not saying he's going to get you a goal, but he seems more of a... You know, he's got that physicality... Um, He's got he's a lot very versatile on the wing. Um, he drives the ball up the pitch a lot better. Um, but yeah, I feel like it, the more I'm thinking about it, the more he hasn't played in the last month or two. I think he could be um, showing the, the you know the exit door this this um, this summer. I think again, it depends on what Poch wants, but we still know that it's that big kind of these ten players or something like that we need to sell this summer. Um, and I think he could be one of those players on that list. Yeah, twenty appearances this season. Uh, all comp, so he hasn't played, you know, a, a luxury amount of games. But I think the the likes of Enzo coming into that team um, has probably shifted some of that, you know. And he's he's twenty seven, so I mean, he's at a, he's at a part of his career where, and I think I said this maybe last season where he's got a choice to make. Does he want to sort of be a bit part player and come in and out of the team at Chelsea, or does he want to go somewhere else and? almost become the main person in midfield. And I think he, he could do that. And, you know, like you just mentioned, Tamori going to AC Milan, who I think either one is a hundred, hundredth cap, I think maybe, uh, recently for AC Milan. I think Maldini presented him with a an achievement award whilst at AC Milan. So he's very, very well respected at AC Milan. And I think we're finding a lot of, you know, English players are going abroad, going to other leagues and, and finding themselves there as opposed to just sitting around and... and I suppose the question for me comes down to, is he happy to sit on 150 grand a week and play, you know, 20, 25 games a season? Or does he want to go abroad? Does he want to go to another, you know, a Crystal Palace, you know, who he went on loan to before and actually make himself a, a player that, you know, he could go on and become something even better and maybe even prolong his career as well. You know, the less games you play, in a way, the more likely you, you're not going to have a longer career. You know, you need to be playing regular football sustain that fitness and, and carry on so look, I don't want to see him go I, I hate to say anyone that's got potential leave but I think at the age that he is if he was 21 or 22 I'd be like yeah he needs to stay and develop a bit more or go on a lot but he's, he's 27 he should be you know he should be in that team now and I just don't think he's going to hit the level that we need him to 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 push on and win a Premier League in the next two or three years um Really good player, but I think a move would be the right call. And like you said, I said it last week, FFP, 30 for June. It's in the back of my mind. So um, yeah, I'd be sad to see him go, but yeah, I think it'd be the right call. 
Yeah, um, it feels like it's now or never for him at 20, 27, like you said, to make that next step in his career. And Serie A is becoming such a attractive destination for these English players. You look at Tammy as well at Roma, um, who's doing really well. Um, Bellingham, I mean, obviously about to sign for Madrid by the looks of it. It seems like these players are more, 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 more and more willing now to play Hopefully their football. Signed for Madrid. I'm glad he's signing as yeah. opposed to Liverpool or City. Yeah, definitely it would have been a huge blow to Chelsea had he signed for one of our direct rivals in the league but um, but yeah I think La Liga Serie A becoming more um, popular destinations I think before then the only couple English players I remember who played abroad were Beckham and Owen um, but you know it's it's becoming more and more likely now that these players go abroad and he's definitely that one I think that goes abroad that will want to do well um, Chelsea players would, uh, Chelsea fans would always keep an eye on on his performances on his um his appearances. Um, but yeah, like I, I said at the beginning, I do like his, I like his mentality of still wanting to make it at Chelsea because I don't think we see enough of that with the players in the current um, crop of, I mean, and the squad we have, players actually want know what it feels like to play for the badge. Um, and even those that, you know, the, the, the youth players that came through the academy, they've struggled this season. They've really struggled with injuries. So, so yeah, it'll be um, a bit of a blow, but at the same time, it could be the right step for him. I agree. I agree. Let's let's talk about let's take a trip down memory lane. Uh Petacek, who was inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame earlier on this week. I think it was Wednesday or maybe Thursday, one of the days this week. Um we did our I think we did a top five maybe last year, or our five aside as well. I think we did that, didn't we? And I think we both had Petacek as the the best goalkeeper of all time, probably in the Premier League, uh, maybe with a hint of bias in there, but I mean, the stats read for a brilliant reading, you know, 443 appearances, 202 clean sheets, four titles, four golden gloves. I mean, he is probably arguably one of the best, if not the best goalkeepers we've probably grown up watching, you know, um, as not just Chelsea fans, but as football fans as well. But just give me your thoughts on Petrček being inducted into the Hall of Fame. I know you're a you're a five side goalkeeper as well, so you've got a bit of uh, you know a bit more love than maybe I have for for Petrček, uh, being being part of the Hall of Famers now. So, what's your thoughts on on him uh, being included? I've actually been playing outfield for my five side team. Um, this oh week. really? You've changed? But, yeah. but just just this week. I think I'll be back in goal next week because it hasn't been going too well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, check for me. Um, Probably alongside um, Peter Schmeichel, the, the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, um, in my opinion. I mean, you know, he listed all of his achievements and accolades there, but um, I think the one that really stands out is the number of clean sheets he kept in um, the 2004-05 season. I think it was only 15 goals conceded across that whole season. Might have even been less. Um, but yeah, fantastic goalkeeper, top professional Um uh, brilliant kind of leader as well um, you know really nice guy off the pitch but you see him scream and yell at his defenders on the pitch and he was a really good a really good player and I think um, we talk about not having enough leaders in the dressing room at the moment I think he's one of those players that you know would have been fantastic to have um, nowadays and it's really really deserved um, so yeah really pleased for him and um, uh, hopefully there'll be a few more Chelsea inductees in that famous Premier League Hall of Fame I think there's going to be, isn't there? There's got yeah, to be. You think back to those years. I mean, you know, you look 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 at where we are now, but look back. You know, even 20 years ago, you know, 2003. You know, just think about some of those players that we had in that team. Um, you know, even 
going before then, you know, uh, late nineties, you know. So I think there'll be a few that will will make the cut a hundred percent. I think they need to start inducting more than two at a time. I think it could take a while before we uh, we see all the the players that we've grown up to to watch getting du- inducted into it. But keeping on the, the memory lane road for now, Legends game, 9th of September. Um, I actually went on as you rightfully reminded me this morning to go on and get a ticket which I did um, first time going in the, the virtual waiting room was in straight away so I was glad I was sitting down for that because I was I was in shock when I got in um, but yeah looking forward to the game obviously I think it's Roberto Di Matteo John Terry managing um, both sides um, of, of the, the teams so, I mean it should be a good should be a good atmosphere for once at Stanford Bridge. No stress, no pressure. But um, I know you're going as well, so I'm assuming you're looking forward to to the game just as much as I am. Yeah, really buzzing. Managed to get three tickets in the shed upper, um, so it should be a really good game. Um, I think they also confirmed that uh, Gianfranco Zola is going to play for the Chelsea Legends, and if he still has the same little trickery and um, and skills that he used to display um, back in the '90s and early um, 2000s, then that'll be really exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, I'm really good. I'm really excited for that game. And also it's for in memory of Gianluca Vialli as well, which is really important. I think there'll be a really nice display for him. Um, I think um, a lot of those players that um, that will make um, that will play with the Chelsea legends will have also played alongside Vialli. Um, so yeah, that should be a really good um, experience and should be good to see some former Chelsea players um, uh, put on the Chelsea shirt once again and good opponent in Bayern Munich as well um, let's yeah. not take that for granted there'll be a lot of legends there on show and I think it was um, the one with the memory game we did for Ray Wilkins back in 2018 against the Inter Milan legends um, I think I still have that match day programme and I went through it the other day the names in that programme unreal absolutely unreal like every single one of those players is one of those ones you would have like you would have looked up to as a kid and i think it's going to be the same for this one on the 9th of september so um yeah definitely a game i couldn't miss i wasn't going to miss out on so glad i managed to get a ticket yeah yeah and um, i'm pretty sure like we said before we started recording i think there's going to be a handful if not a bit more um tickets still available so if you haven't done so already make sure you go onto the the chelsea website and get one i think also as well um 50 of the proceeds from the game are going to the uh royal marsden's cancer charity um which is where um Gianluca Vialli was treated as well so it is for a good cause it's not just going into the hands of the owners it's going to a good cause so make sure if you're you're around 9th of September I'm, I'm, I think it's I haven't even checked the time of the kickoff I was just glad I got a ticket so I think it's 7.15 7.15pm 7. 7. kickoff yeah it's a bit of a weird kickoff but it's worth worth going down if you're you're around uh, the London area on that day Sadly, we have to bring it back to reality. We have to bring it back to modern day. We have to bring it back to tomorrow, 3 p.m. Tough game against Bournemouth coming up. Um, we don't really have, if I remember correctly, we do not have the best of records at Bournemouth. Um, I'm trying to think of our last win quickly. It's probably, mm-hmm. I can't really remember. You're, you're, you're the stats guy. You're the, the Wikipedia. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been October twenty. 20- 17 1-0 Eden Hazard oh, doesn't read for good uh, yeah it's not good but we have to be better than Arsenal we have to have to do better than we have done pre- the pro- past previous games my only worry going into this game is Bournemouth um, are, are almost safe now they'll probably see us as a as a um, easy target 
off the back of how we've played. I feel Lampard would be very stubborn still. Maybe go back, still stick with a back four. I would would not be surprised if it's almost the same lineup. Maybe with Havertz back in as you know to replace Aubameyang, but we have to win this game. We have to get forty points, and we have to get forty points quickly because every every weekend, every game that goes by, there was, I don't know if you got to see, but there was a um, there was like a predicted table, a end of season table, and it showed if all the other teams below us were to collect ten points, I think, or to collect I think nine or ten points, we actually go down into the relegation. I think we end up being 17th or 18th come the 28th of May. So are you worried about relegation, first of all? Let's start there before we get into the, the prediction. I'm worried that um, I don't see us winning a single one of our remaining five games. I'm going to be honest, I don't think we won. The only one maybe is Forest, and even Forest have more to play for than Chelsea at the moment. But I do think teams like Leicester, Everton, Leeds, who look at it really abysmal at the moment, maybe Allardyce's appointment might help them pick up and form. But I just don't see them getting 10 points either. So I want to say that we're, we're safe, touch wood. Um, but yeah, I think the other stats I saw is Brighton winning yesterday meant that we statistically couldn't finish above them, which meant that we can't get any European football as well. Um, but yeah, I think Bournemouth tomorrow is going to be a really tough game. I think, um, like I said, last time we won there was October 2017. And since then, we lost 4-0 under the Sari days. Um, then we we drew 2-2, I believe, when Marcus Alonso got a brace the following season. Um, a tough place to go to this season. I think since they they um, fired um, Scott Parker at the start of the season, they've really picked up some form. And, you know, we had them as the nailed favourites to get relegated, but that's no longer the case. They, they picked up points against Tottenham. They comfortably beat Leicester, I think it was a 4-1 uh, recently. So they look like a team. They look like a proper team. And um, obviously playing them in their home ground is not going to be easy. So I'm really not confident for tomorrow's game at all. I was probably more confident for the game against Arsenal than I am for this one, which <laughs> isn't really normal. Yeah, no, you're right. I think, um, yeah, just checking you was right, spot on, to, to 2017, last win there. Um, now, if we do lose this game tomorrow, Bournemouth go above us in the league, we'll end up potentially being 13th or even less depending on how other results go. I am worried about this game. I'm not worried about being relegated. I don't think that will happen. I think there's too much, too much would have to go against us for us to get relegated. And I, I just don't see it. Um, one of the things I did say earlier on in the week was that if we didn't have the points that Thomas Tuchel did get us early on in the season, we would only have 29 points. So we do have to be thankful that we've got those points from earlier on before the sacking of Thomas Tuchel um, and that we aren't sitting with Everton and Southampton. So um, look, I'm not expecting miracles from this team. I think they're all, like we've said, um, in, you know, in Mykonos and wherever else, Dubai, you know, they're not on the football pitch for 90 minutes. So I'm not expecting miracles. I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting us to, you know, to go and win 4-0, but I just want to see something from this team. Um, it'll be interesting how Lampard lines up and I'd, I'm going to ask you, you know, how, you know, how, how would you line up? Not how Lampard will potentially line up, but what would you go with in terms of a lineup um, for, for tomorrow's game? I think it'd be similar to what I predicted for the Arsenal game. Um, I think even before we were talking about that, maybe because we could see a switch in the goalkeeper. I think maybe in this type of game that Mendy comes back in for, um, we don't really have much to play for. It could be a chance for him to, to get his first appearance since um, since before the World Cup. Um but it's got to be a back three. It's got to be a back three and it's got to be um, Chilwell. And if it's not Chilwell, maybe Lewis Hall. And it's got to be Loftus-Cheek as the right wing back. 
center backs kind of pick themselves at the moment um, with um, um, Silva, Fafana, and uh, Badjashil. I think it's got Badjashil's got to come back into the team as well. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is with Cucurella. I think he's still injured, but even if he's fit, I don't think he should be anywhere near that starting eleven. Um, midfield to Kante Enzo with. I'm going to say Chukumweka. I think there's been a few social media pictures of him and that's sometimes an indication on, you know, who the, who's in the manager's um, kind of um, vision to start the next game. And um, I think he could play maybe a number 10 or the kind of furthest midfielder up the pitch. And then my front three would, my, I don't think he's moved two players now actually, um, but I'd go with um, maybe Felix or Havertz or Aubameyang and Felix um, and bring Madrid off the bench quite quickly for this one. Yeah. I'd start with the lineup I think we had for Arsenal. Mm. Pretty much. I think I agree with you maybe with Mendy. I think maybe, you know, you need to change something around there because we are letting in some easy goals to an extent. And that is all down to the defence, not just the goalkeeper. But I think maybe give Kepper a rest. He's played a lot of football as well. Um, but I, I agree with you. We can't see Aspilicueta as much as I love him. And I want to see him against, you know, the final game at Stamford Bridge. I want to see him, you know, get his you know, well-respected applause and thanks um, if he does decide to leave the club. But Mudrik, for me, has to start the game. He has to start that game tomorrow. We, we got to see flashes, um, no pun intended, literally, but got to see flashes of what Mudrik can do um, on the game, you know, against Arsenal. Mud, Madweki as well. I think Sterling has to sit this game out. I think he's, confidence is low for Sterling. I think he's, a player that has had Pep Guardiola shouting at him for season after season, you know, amongst the touchline. And he's gone from someone who just doesn't look like he's got any confidence. So maybe sit him out very much like we did with Mason Mount. Um, Aubameyang got start. I'd stick with Aubameyang. I think he's was unfortunate not to get anything out of the Arsenal game. But if you think back to the Brentford game, he did have a couple of good shots on target and he was getting into the right spaces to try and make something happen. So I'd stick with Aubameyang. Um, I think Havertz is back in training, so he, he might be back in contention to fill that spot as well. Um, but I just want us to win a game. <laughs> I know it sounds so basic and just, you know, you want to win every game, but I just want to win a game. I just want us to see, you know, even scoring, you know, Madweki scoring against Arsenal. I didn't, I wasn't excited. I didn't, I didn't celebrate. I was just, you know, I think you sent me a, a picture of um, the fans, you know, chatting that we'd scored a goal. I mean, that's how, where we are as a club. You know, I need to see a goal. Um, so yeah, that would be my lineup. Very much similar to Arsenal. Maybe swap Mendy uh, with Kepa, or Kepa with Mendy. And let's hit the ground running with five at the back. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, I do want to see Madrid as well. I think the flash he showed against Brentford and even Arsenal for me, or, you know, he needs to start. He's got that pace. He's slowly picking up some confidence, having a shot on goal as well, which not enough players do. So if there's a way to integrate him into that first eleven on um, tomorrow, then uh, I'd like to see that happen. But I just think these other type of games will need to be playing Madweke, Chukamweka as well. And it's hard to drop Madweke as well after his performance against Arsenal. So that's something else that maybe Lampard will, um, will need to consider. Yeah, definitely. Just before we get the predictions, Dominic Solanke, ex-Chelsea player. I wonder what the odds are that he's going to score against us tomorrow. Uh, I think he's got grabbed a few for, for Bournemouth recently as well. So um, if you're a betting man, make sure you look at Solanke. Goals. Um, for your predictions, what are we going for? 
Yeah, Jorginho could have easily scored a screamer against us. That wouldn't, wouldn't have surprised me at all. Um, but predictions for um, for tomorrow, I'm going to go 3-1 Brentford. Um, 3-1 Bournemouth. Bournemouth, we're playing Bournemouth. 3-1? Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, we're going to lose 100%. <laughs> let's be honest. Let's not be optimistic. Um, I, I think 2-0. I think 2-0 Bournemouth. I just don't see where the goals are coming from. And I think if you play a back four, like I said, Solanke... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have a field day. They'll have so many options to score. So 2-0. Uh, 